Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. And good morning. And welcome back to Daybreak Devotions. It is my privilege to welcome you into today's broadcast. You have joined Pastor Mike Barnett and Pastor Corey Cantrell from McLeansville Baptist Church. So good to be back in studio once again today. And back into Paul's letter to the Galatians, Mm -hmm. day three of this expedition. And, uh, you know, I bet you thought we would traipse right over into chapter two today. I have learned to expect the unexpected. As have the listeners. Well, here's an unexpected question. Okay. I'm going to ask it. Go with the first thing that comes to your mind. It's okay. What's your favorite passage in Galatians? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. What's your favorite passage in the book of Galatians? (laughs) Well, I have a harder time answering because uh, my default, you know, just want to go to Galatians 2.20, you know, which I quoted the other day. For the mm-hmm. life that I now live, I live in the, fl- in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But I was sitting over here flipping through this, and, man, there's so many good texts in this letter. I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say this is a, an underrated book of the Bible. I mean, it's not, but I don't know. It, it's like anywhere in Scripture. And if you just take the time to stop and examine it and kind of just stroll through it, not just hurriedly pass through it, getting it read or whatever. There is so much here. And if I start trying to name things, I know, you know, it's just going to be. But Galatians 4:19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. You know, that is, that's the heart of Paul's whole mission right there for these people. We think of Paul as the missionary, the evangelist, the guy that's proclaiming the gospel to the lost to mm-hmm. introduce them to Jesus, and he was. And we all know what I'm about to say, but I think sometimes we don't think about this one as much. But Paul had just as much of a heart for the believer to help them grow in Christ and his word there until Christ be formed or birthed into you so that essentially in the image there that your life is swallowed up in Mm -hmm. Jesus, that you become Jesus. Paul was not the drop-in get everybody gloriously saved, and then move on to the next town and disregard, hey, at least we got them to Jesus. Paul took very much ownership of of those that came to Christ under his ministry. He, he definitely viewed them as, okay, now, not only did I help have the opportunity to bring them to Christ, but with that I have accepted the responsibility of furthering their development in Christ. He became a discipler. To them, not just a, not just a converter. Well, I'm going to stop flipping through these verses because so many. I we'll get caught up the whole half hour just talking about all these different texts. In due time, we shall get there. Yes. But one thing I'll say in introducing today is we're going to come back to the latter part of chapter one. I really would like to focus a little bit more on Paul and his calling, and his conversion from being this fierce defender of the Jewish religion to becoming this you know, fierce apostle of Jesus Christ. When Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the church door and thus began uh, a revolution in the church known as the Reformation, 
He, by his own testimony, says that he had fallen in love with this letter of Paul, which plainly declares that salvation is the full and free liberation through Christ from not only sin, but from the condemnation of the law and the bondage of burdensome religion. And that is essentially why we're calling this study Radical Grace, Radical Liberty. When Luther uh, wrote about this letter, he said in one place, it is my epistle. I have betrothed myself to it. It is my wife. Hmm. So he had a very deep connection with this letter. We know we know Luther was uh, very big on, on Romans, of course, but mm-hmm. he also really drew so much from Galatians. And when you understand or, or kind of put that into the context of the Reformation and what Luther was trying to do with the Catholic Church, he was trying to help them to see the freedom that Christ brings. You can understand, even with what we talked about yesterday and today, the, the, the bondage of religion, Luther saw that as such a constraint on the life of the people that they had to know, they had to be told and taught that they're free from that if they put everything in Christ. And I think that is really, at, at the end of it all, what we're trying to do with this study. Sure, because I think in so many ways we have been guilty of the exact same thing, which we've talked about on other recordings as well. But how easy it is to fall into the trap of religion and and not lose our spiritual life with God because no one can take from us what God has given to us, but they can definitely choke it out and render it ineffective by just constraining it and, and constricting it to the point that it can't live out. And the whole time God's looking, thinking, oh, I've given you life more abundantly. I've given you this great freedom, yet you're entering into the same snares and entrapments that I've already delivered you from. Well, we're again, we're talking about Paul's conversion today, going from those, those old days where it's interesting. I'll make reference to this again, but in, in Philippians, he lays out really his credentials in the, in the Jewish faith. Mm-hmm. But when he's writing that personal letter to Timothy, here's what he says about the old man. 1 Timothy 1, 12-16, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Christ Jesus might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. That's how Paul saw himself. And that drips with it was all of grace. And he said, I, I mentioned it yesterday, uh, chapter 6, verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world." And I was thinking about Paul's testimony and his conversion, and I got to thinking about the song by another evangelist, Kurt LeBeau, who wrote this song that we're going to play this morning entitled, Give Him the Glory.
So I want to start by taking us, I, I want to, we're going to look at particularly verse 13 through the end of the chapter a little bit today. I know we touched on some of that yesterday, but I want to read again verse 1 and 2 just to get it introduced. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Now, what I see in this, in Paul's introduction, you see a lot of the focus of this man, Paul. He is no longer going by the old name Saul. You know, he was Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee of the Pharisees. But Saul was a man who was bound for greatness in the Jews' religion. Now he's calling himself Paul, which means little. Uh, He mentions his calling as an apostle, which is, the word means a delegate, but especially an ambassador of the gospel. And a true apostle would have to have been commissioned directly by Jesus, right? That's our understanding. Mm -hmm. And he would be endowed with miracle-working power as a sign, okay? So in other words, this is a very, very big claim by Paul. And then he says this, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ, okay? So, you know, as if... I'm an apostle, then he says, called, not by men, but by Jesus Christ. It's the double-double, let me just highlight. It's like when uh, certain people send a text, and they put multiple exclamation exclamation points. Yeah. I kind of had this thought that just ran through my mind. You don't think that this was almost kind of like a a vindication against, you know, we we talked a few weeks ago about the, um, the selection by the casting of lots of, Matthias, hmm. and I think you made a comment even on that recording about how 
you know, the argument could have been made, you know, should the disciples have done that because ultimately Jesus was going to send another apostle in the future and this, that, and the other. This could almost be a, I don't think Paul's throwing rocks at Matthias or the other 11 or, or anything like that. You don't like think that. Paul would ever give jabs? I, well, I mean. <laughs> I, I withdraw the question. Continue. Yeah, I mean, this this isn't, because Paul's not petty. I think what he's doing here is he's saying, look, Lest you say, well, Paul's just doing that because, you know, he was man-appointed. No, you need to understand, I've spoken directly with Jesus Christ himself, who has given me this task and this great responsibility, and I don't take that lightly. And I'm not going to apologize for what I'm about to say either. Well, yes, and that is the point that I'm trying to making that I'm trying to make, is that by him stating that, and it's very different than the opening of any other letter that he that we have in the scriptures from him. But I think it shows that he's launching an all-out assault on these false teachers Mm -hmm. and this doctrine that has been infiltrating the Galatian churches. He's starting out from the beginning saying, let me set the record straight about who I am and where I'm coming from. Now, that's, I think, a great introduction into where I wanted to focus today. The Jews from Jerusalem, as we said yesterday, have been giving these young churches a lot of trouble. The main problem was that they they were countering the message Paul had preached and attempting to bring Judaism into the gospel. And I said yesterday... Uh, the Judaism would be, in our t- time, another way to say it would be legalism. It's not, we don't do it with, uh, like, the Jews' religion. We do it with the Baptist religion or the Methodist religion or whatever you come from. When we take that, which is the traditions of men, and they become more important than the Word of God, and then we try to corral everybody and force everybody to walk according to those rules, mm-hmm. that's the same thing. And that's what they were doing. Because they would say this. They would say, yes, of course, it's only through Jesus that you get saved. But if you're a true follower of Jesus, you're also going to get circumcised, and you're going to keep the law of Moses, and you know, and, and there they go. The list starts adding on. And then, and I know this firsthand, when someone's not obeying the rules, or you see something that doesn't look like it fits the rules, and then you check the rule book. Oh, there's no rule. We don't have a rule about this. So what do we do? we got to go make a new rule. rule. Yep. And so we end up with a book thicker than the Bible itself of rules. And am I exaggerating? Yeah, a little bit, at least in maybe we don't have a book that thick, but we do have a mentality that thick of we need these rules to control everybody. We may not have an actual rule book that is that thick, but what we do have is pages of explanation to justify, well, we've got a proof text for this rule. And so here's what the verse says. But now let's give you 10 pages of dialogue as to why that verse means this. And we're just, we're making it say what we want it to say. And all along, if we actually just emphasize to everybody, chunk everything and get to know Jesus, it fixes the problem. What was the one commandment? Jesus gave one new commandment and then said, it's not really a new commandment. It's the same commandment. I'm get, And John echoes it right in First mm-hmm. John. It's love one another as I have loved you. And what did Jesus ask us to believe? You know, we talked about this the other morning. You believe in God, believe also in me. It's very simple. There's not a lot asked of us. But the thing is, is if we're not doing those things and all we've got is religion, we have to create rules to try to enforce it, even to keep ourselves within what we think is the right thing. So all of that is what Judaism is. And, And we, you know, taking that time, I think it's worthwhile to just kind of paint that picture because the rest of this letter, this is what Paul's combating. So uh, putting it in our day, this is what we're dealing with. Now, what would have been the argument against Paul? Well, I think they would have said, well, you know, this guy, Paul, he's bright. You know, we're sure God's going to use him, but he came along later. 
In fact, in fact, he used to persecute us. So let's not get too carried away with all that this guy's teaching. He, you know, we come from Jerusalem where the true apostles are from. Those who knew Jesus. Because you know, Paul wasn't from Jerusalem. Paul was from Tarsus, Tarsus. right? And Tarsus. And that's where he had grown up. He was a Roman citizen, right? There's a lot of stuff about Paul that they would be able to kind of point out and make, you know, put black marks on him. They said, hey, hey, we, we come from Jerusalem where the true apostles are, the ones that actually walk with Jesus. Now listen, here's the whole truth. You need Jesus as your Savior, but you're going to also need to become Jews and follow our law for this to work in your life. Because Jesus was our Messiah. Right, and that's the argument that they're making. Now Paul is going to come against all of that, and we come into verse 13. For ye have heard of my conversion in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Here's two verses on Paul explaining his conversion. I want to ask a question. Does it take more grace to be freed from heathenism or from religion? Yes. <laughs> it's a rhetorical question, I know. But boy, when you think about it, we think, man... Those old drunks on the street and those old, uh, uh, what is it, the, the rich in the palaces, yeah. the poor and unknown, and the men of degree. Well, yeah, they all need to be saved. But what about the church member sitting on the pew? Mm -hmm. It's, you know, Jesus says it's harder for a rich man, it's hard for a rich man to, to enter into the kingdom of heaven and be saved. And the, the, the disciples are like, wow, whew, who can be saved? Well, it's hard for a religious man to get right with God and get born again. Yeah, it's not a, it's probably not the, an exact term, especially in the way that it sounds, but you know, we would look at it as like the spiritually rich or maybe better, the religiously rich. The, the, the rich young ruler, a good, moral, yes. religious man. Somebody, I don't believe that that man came before Jesus arrogantly or, all right, Lord, yeah, I, I've done all this, I'm good. But genuinely, truly in a, what I, I've tried, I, I've, Yes, this has been my heart. This has been my life. I, ever since I was a kid, it's all I've ever known. And this is what I've been passionate about. So there is some richness in in that because it's definitely a leg up on how a lot of people were, were raised and were brought up. And so there can be some difficulty with that. Well, here's the point of that question and even you know saying that. Well, that sounds awfully negative. No, the point is Saul, who was a religious man's religious man, does become Paul, the disciple, the apostle, the little follower of Jesus Christ, because with God all things are possible. This is the story of grace, mm -hmm. and grace works whether you're a heathen drunkard or you know a wife beater or whatever, dope head on the street, okay? Pornography pusher, drug dealer, don't matter. The, the, the politician in Washington, you know, oh, sorry, uh, or whether you're a good moral man or woman sitting on a church pew, everybody needs Jesus. Yes. Don't we all need Jesus? That's right. That's worthy what? of a clap. <laughs> Sometimes I just get out of bounds. <laughs> anyway, and uh, uh, but it works. It works for both. It's what everybody needs, and God is able to do it. And yes. so to the listener who knows and thinks, maybe even pastors, all right? Pastors like, man, I don't know what's going to happen. How do we get these people to move? Hey, it's all of grace. God's going to do it. Let Trust him. Trust him. Let him handle it, by the way. It's his work, not yours. So Paul says of himself, I was more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. 
So he excelled at the religion, and I think an application that's clearly seen here is that he was he was intolerant of anything that would be, quote, new or, quote, a change. Mm-hmm. That's who Saul of Tarsus was. Now, we have problems with that today, don't we? And, and again, the only reason I'm calling this stuff out is this is what Paul had to deal with to help these churches not only get right but stay right. Well, we've still got to wrestle with this today. So when something comes along and it's new or something comes along and it's different, it's a change, our first response should not be to buck up and say, well, if it's different, it's wrong. If it's new, it's wrong. I'll stick with the old stuff. It still it's worked works every, every time. time. Yep. And that, so if we, if we take that statement to its core, yes, the old stuff will always be what it is because Jesus never changes and the truth of the gospel never changes. But when we use phrases like that, typically what we mean is the way that we lived, conducted, operated you, years ago. You would think nobody could get saved unless it happened at an old-fashioned altar. Yeah, you know, those old brush altars by the side of the road. I ain't never seen one of those. I have no idea what that is, but I know that they were great things in their time. They, they were seasonal. At one point in time, they were new. Mm-hmm. But they w- And somebody probably didn't like them. Yeah. Y'all having church outside. Yeah. You know that ain't right. And, and and all of that type of stuff, everything that we look to now, methodology, as the old stuff that we need to get back to, once upon a time, was that generation's new stuff. That's not what we're, we're to earnestly defend, and that's part of what Paul is pointing out. Look, I was the most zealous of religious adherence to the old traditions. And what I realized was I was clinging to the wrong old stuff. What I should have been clinging to was the person of Christ. If Fanny Crosby had listened to all this kind of stuff, she'd have never got those hymns published. She wrote all those new hymns to tunes that were yes. coming out of the taverns of her day. They were worldly sound. World, it was okay. Everybody grabbed something. She used worldly music and put Bible truth to it, and we now sing them and hold them up as the epitome of spiritual music. I'm I'm getting ready to meddle, and I don't want to, but I just can't help well, it. Well, we're running out of time anyway. You might as well. I ain't going to get to the the the, the calling. I've I've heard the I've heard the if it ain't amazing grace, I ain't singing it. Problem is, there's a lot of that stuff that that fits into that what you're saying. It was common worldly music of that time that somebody took and said, "That's a, that's a relatable sound. Let me put the truth of the gospel to that." Because that's what's going to stick in people's minds and get down into their hearts. Now, I will offer a little balance to the perspective. Because I know some people have heard even the argument we're making many times, and, and maybe they're thinking of counterarguments. So I want to go ahead and address one. One counterargument could justifiably be that the worldly sounds of 300 years ago are nothing like today. And to that yes. point, we agree. Absolutely. There are, at, there, are, there are definitely some lines that we don't cross. Correct. And when, when the music is very sensual, gyrating, it's provocative, and the style of singing, no matter who they claim to be singing for, is the same way. Yes, yes. we don't—that is across the line. We don't mess with that. But what we're saying is, is we cannot just take that stand that anything that's new or different has to be wrong. Correct. And Paul became a champion for that in the Jewish faith. You need somebody to shut down the new, you call Saul. Mm-hmm. Saul, take care of it. And here's another question. How does that happen? 
How does that happen? Again, we're keeping it in the application of the church today, the modern church, particularly in fundamental churches, okay? How does this happen? How does a promising young man get brought up into that swell where he's primed and prepared and then he's presented and cut loose to wreak havoc? As Paul said he was doing, Acts 8, 3, the Bible says he was wreaking havoc on the church. So do we still have that today? Bringing young men up, they're, they're, they excel at it. Man, they're champions, and we cut them loose, and what do they do? They wreak havoc on havoc. the church. Yep. So how does that happen? Again, it might be a rhetorical question, but the answers are in this study. If nothing else, and you alluded to this yesterday, I was thinking about how Acts lays it all out, and, and you were right on chapter 2, verse 1. Paul said after 14 years. Mm-hmm. And so like one way you stop that from happening in the church and in the following of Jesus is you slow them down. Yes, You take a young man and you say, look, live, learn, slow down. You've got nothing to all- – you- let me stay up. Restate this. You've got very little to offer at the age of 20. And I I can say this. I started preaching at the age of 20. You've got very little to offer in the way of life experience at 20 years old. But you're learning. And again, the the grace of that's okay. Yeah. That's the way it's supposed to be. Because you you still have a role. Yes. You have a very important role. See, it's not that Paul set for, let's just round it up. Just the numbers we get here, we could round it up to 20 years. Yeah. Just let that blow your mind a minute. The Apostle Paul did not get gloriously saved on the Damascus Road and start planting churches a month later or a year later. 20 years. That's realistic. That's a realistic estimate. 20 years before he became a missionary. And we're talking about a guy who was already extremely well-versed in the Old Testament Scriptures. And so... I want to quote you. It's okay. Yeah. Just don't worry. But just be where you are. Learn, serve, minister, get in there with somebody and, and be a servant. And you're going to learn. And don't don't look for the opportunities. Don't yep. try to create them. Let God lead. He'll do it in his time. Absolutely. So I think, speaking of time, we're out of time. So tomorrow we'll come back and we'll talk about Paul's call of God. Thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.